This Weekend Retreat by Father Anthony Bethel, CFR of the Franciscan Fires of Renewal was given at Our Lady of Good Counsel Retreat House May 4th to the 6th, 2018 on the topic Totus Tuus, a retreat with Mary, Mother of the Church. These and other recordings are available at our website, goodcounselretreat.com. Good morning, everyone. Uh, so we had Father Andrew. I think we're going to continue to have Father Andrew for our meals what were you expecting? Another Franciscan, right? Um, I lived with Father Andrew Apostoli <clears throat> uh, before my move. I lived with him the last three years of, of his life, so I got to spend those last three years with him. And I was, of course, very close to Father Benedict as well. Um, and uh, I did get to know Father Andrew's all of his jokes very well. Matter of fact, I can give them all if you want. You know, but you'll probably get them later at lunchtime and dinner time. And the thing about Father Andrew, as you know, you can tell by the way that he gives his talks that he would be laughing at his jokes as soon as he began them. So you would start to laugh at his jokes. So you wouldn't even the punchline wouldn't even come yet. But he was such a, a joyful man and. And he, uh, of course, had a great love and devotion to Our Lady of Fatima. That's why I, I felt like, well, you know, there's so he is such an expert on, uh, is uh, probably more so now, right, being with Our Lady in heaven. But uh, on Fatima, that's why I thought we'll, we'll just do a little bit of a, uh, a different angle on Our Lady and her interior life. You know, on the altar here, you see uh, that it's written there, what is uh, the word? Yes, the word was made flesh. You know, in Nazareth, which is one of my favorite places in the world to, to go, uh, there's the cave of uh, the, the Annunciation, where, the, where we think the angel Gabriel uh, appeared to Mary in her house. And it's a cave there. And unfortunately, a not-so-beautiful church was built on top of the cave, okay? Uh, it's a Franciscan church, but looks like one of those octagon spaceships, all right? It's on, on some Netflix movie. Um, but nonetheless, it, I, I think they make it to... They have to house a lot of people. The Church of St. Joseph's, where, where his house was, much more beautiful church. But, but in that spaceship church, uh, there's the Cave of the Annunciation, and I remember kneeling there in 2010, and uh, it, it was closed off, but it was just after Mass. And I looked at the altar, and it said the same thing, you know, in Latin. But it said, the Word was made flesh here. And I always loved that, because it's the only place in the world that you have the Word was made flesh right here. Isn't that amazing? It is really just a, a beautiful, graced place. And I, I didn't want to go. They had to tear me out of there. Um, that's what we reflect on, huh? our lady's role. But even in this privileged role as the mother of God, the mother of our, our Savior, um, that she still experienced not sin, of course, nothing selfish in our lady, but she experienced the journey of life. The journey of sufferings, of trials, yes. Uh, the, the things that, that we, so many of the things that we experience as well. And those are the things that I want to look into. This morning, I really want to look into her prayer life. What Mary's prayer life would have, might have consisted of. And then this afternoon, we'll, we'll focus a little bit more her, um, you know, the, uh, the passion, certainly her with our Lord at the Passion, and also 
her dark nights, what we say, the, dark, the darkness of her spiritual life. Uh, I encourage you to, if you, if you don't have a pen and paper, to get one, because oftentimes God will bring something up. And if you're like me, like I, now I'm approaching 50, but I do forget a lot of stuff. And then I'm always like, darn it, what was that I wanted to remember? Now I can't remember and drives you crazy, you know? I guess the nice thing about that is getting old is you don't have to remember where you put the Easter eggs, right? On Easter, you don't re- where did I put that? I don't know. Um, but it's nice to, to write down things, maybe a little word that, might, that God might give to you. This morning, let me just read to you. It won't be an official proclamation, okay? I'll just read to you from Luke 2. All of the meditations that I'll be kind of using are from the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 1 and 2. All right, they're all right there, chapter 1 and 2. And, and I'll give you those quotes if you want to, you know, after, after the talk or this afternoon, you take a beautiful walk outside with the very Franciscan place here with the birds and the rabbits and the squirrels and everything, um, and, and meditate on these scripture verses. So this is, this is uh, chapter 2, and I'll just be using this verse as a, a launching pad. And this, you may remember, is when the shepherds were out in the field in Bethlehem and they had the aha moment of a beautiful angels announcing the birth of the Savior. And so this is picking up here in chapter 2, verse 15 of, of the Gospel of St. Luke. It came to pass after the angels departed from them into heaven. The shepherds said to one another, let's go over to Bethlehem. Let us see this word that has come to pass, which the Lord has shown to us. They came with haste. They found Mary and Joseph and the infant lying in the manger. And seeing they understood of the word that had been spoken to them concerning this child. And listen to this, verse 18. And all that heard wondered or marveled at those things that were told to them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these words, pondering them in her heart. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. We have in three verses, Luke uses uh, three verses specifically uh, with certain descriptions of Mary's prayer life, of what's going on right here. Well, yes, considering her prayer life, there are many other descriptors, words, that describe what's going on in her heart, in her spiritual life, in in her interior. But there are um, three verses uh, specifically, and he gives four Greek words, but don't worry, it won't be a Bible study, okay? But I'll just try to flesh out what, what's most important for us. In, in uh, chapter 129, it talks about Mary uh, pondered what this greeting of the angel Gabriel might mean, okay? In 219, so uh, this was the one that we just said, it talked about Mary pondered what the what this the shepherd's coming and she kept all these things in her heart and then later in 251 after the finding of her Jesus in the temple they all go back home to Nazareth and she treasured all these things in her heart well there's four greek words there that I'm not going to bore you with like I tried to do last night cuz I'm not a greek scholar myself all right but it's, it's interesting when you look at the Greek words, they give meaning to what's going on in Our Lady's prayer life. And, and, the, and the reason that I offer, offer this is important is that 
You know, if I was to ask any of you, and you were to ask me, Father Anthony, how's the prayer life going? Well, you know what I would say? Oh, it's all right, but it could always be better. (laughs) And we'd probably all say the same thing, wouldn't we? I wish I was doing a little bit better, you know, or it's really not so good. I got to get back into it. Isn't that true for all of us? None of us sitting, you wouldn't come to a retreat and say this. None of us would say, Oh, yeah, I'm perfectly happy with my prayer life, right? <laughs> There's so much more that we, that we need to grow in um, spending the time and with, with the Lord and, and meditation, contemplation. We all want to grow, and that's why I think it's so important just to reflect on Our Lady's prayer life. I'll get to these words in a second, but I was just thinking, what was it that surrounded our, our Blessed Mother as a young Jewish girl? 13, 14 years old. What was life like then? I'm a bit of an amateur historian myself. I really love reading about what life was like in Jesus' time. There's a beautiful book by uh, Daniel Ropps, The Life and Times of Jesus. It's a, nice, it's a nice thick book there, but very, very wonderful. Explains kind of how life was like back then in 0 A.D., Right? What, what life was like for the average Jewish person? What were their beliefs? You know, they had all sorts of interesting beliefs, their culture, their diet, what did they eat? You know, all of these things I love. But they all do go into understanding Our Lady and Our Blessed Savior and how they prayed. One of the things, now if you grew up, uh, if you grew up, many years, let me just say this nicely, a few years ago, okay, if you grew up a few years ago before technology really hit, right, and you probably grew up on a farm, you would have been well acquainted with silence, right? Now, I just, I was just living in New York City for 22 years. I don't think I experienced silence in 22 years, you know? It's the city that never sleeps. I mean, uh, my, how, our friary that I was last living with, with Father Andrew, there was a six-lane highway right outside of it, you know, and always ambulances and police. And, and you do, you kind of tune out the noise after a while. But, but then when you get into a retreat like, like this, boy, you, you're, you realize just what a noisy world we live in. And that noise affects us. Last year... I was uh, visiting a few of the missions in California with a couple of the friars. And we went to this one mission in Ventura, California. That was a big surfing town. I think it still is. But the name of the mission, it's one of the smallest, if not the smallest mission, St. Bonaventure, Buenaventura. Uh, Ventura short, right? They kind of shortened all those names. Los Angeles is, you know, of course, you know, Our Lady of the Angels, Nuestra Señora de los Ángeles. Uh, so they shorten all of those uh, those names, but nonetheless, it was this the mission of Saint Bonaventure. And of course, usually with all the missions, before you go into the church, you got to pay your ten bucks or whatever. We get in free because we have a nice little get get in card free. You know, get get the habit in there. It's also good for getting out of uh, speeding tickets. Anyway, that's a whole nother it's a whole nother uh, uh, talk, but. Uh, but you go into the little museum there, and they have the old vestments of the priests, maybe some pictures of, uh, you know, when, when the photography came along of the old mission. Now, this is the first time I've ever seen this. Behind the glass case, 
they had a couple bells, the original bells from the chapel, from the church. Now, the only thing was, you know, I've seen bells before. This was the first time I've ever seen wooden bells, bells made of wood. I said, now, who thought this thing up, right? I mean, who's going to hear? Imagine the sisters, uh, bell tower over there. They're made of wood. You're not going to hear them. It's just going to be thud, 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 right? But the description of the bells was very interesting. And I was saying, it just, for the modern person like ourselves, it's hard to imagine how quiet and silent life was back then. So much so, you could ring a wooden bell and everyone in the town would hear it. And of course, that would, they would use the bells as a call to prayer, beginning of work, end of work, uh, midday. Uh, they would use the bells, of course, to call people together for, for Mass on Sundays. But it really made me realize, wow, what a noisy life we live in. You know, for the, for the average American, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands here, but what is it for the average American, you know, the first thing that they do and probably the last thing that they do uh, when they get up in the morning and when they go to bed? Well, they're probably checking some electronic gadget, right? <laughs> they're probably checking what's on their Facebook or their email, their texting or the Netflix, just, just average, you know. That doesn't have to be immoral. But it speaks of something that we are now plugged into a cyber world, right, of... Uh, entertainment, certainly, but of noise. Cardinal Sarah, in the library, you can buy his book if you want there. Cardinal Sarah came out with a beautiful book on silence. And this is, a, this is what Father Andrew Apostoli would call rambology. You know what, who Rambo is, right? So he would always say, when you get a spiritual teaching that's really tough, this is rambology, all right? So this is a, it's a rambology, a Rambo quote from Cardinal Sarah about silence. He says this, Noise is a deceptive, addictive, and false tranquilizer. The tragedy of our world is never better summed up in the fury of senseless noise that stubbornly hates silence. And this is where it gets good. Without silence, God disappears in the noise. And this noise becomes all the more obsessive because God is absent. Unless the world rediscovers silence, it is lost. Those are some strong words, isn't it? It reminds me of what the, the philosopher, theologian Blaise Pascal said, that the, the root of all men and women, the root problem of all men and women is what? That they cannot sit in their cell, their room, their house, in silence and peace for a few hours. We become, you know, right? If you, maybe if you come into the retreat, you sit down, and quiet, you, all of a sudden you're like this, right? And you're like, well, I know I should be doing something here. Let me check something here, right? And there becomes this agitation that characterizes the modern world. Um, part, part of this is just what, how we have been conditioned by society, but it speaks of something. The life of our Lord and our Blessed Mother was, enwrapped in, was wrapped in silence, was shrouded in silence. It's how, it's how our Lord and Our Lady could hear the voice of, of God so easily could, and, and understand scriptures so important. So that's what I want to say about silence. 
Second, let's talk about the place of prayer for a Jewish girl, for, for our blessed Lord. Obviously, the most and, and first and most important place of prayer was the home. It was the home. As a matter of fact, it was the duty of the mother, because the father would be out working. It was the duty of the mother to teach the children their prayers. Well, it's still that way today, I think, right? You teach the children your... Our Lady taught the second person of the Trinity. Now, if you want a, your mind to blow up on this one, meditate for this. Our Lady taught the second person of the Trinity how to pray. Isn't that amazing? Obviously, in his humanity, we would always use that little qualifier there. Our Lord wanted to learn what it was to be human. He was not a human person. He's a divine person. But he had this human nature that he took on. And he wanted to share with us all things but sin, including temptation and, and suffering and joys, and happiness, family life, right? How to learn. Our Lord grew in wisdom, St. Luke says. He grew in learning what it was to be human, right? So Our Lady teaching him these prayers. She would have taught him these prayers in the home. One of the prayers is what uh, religious and priests that we pray on Saturday night, night prayer in Compline. It's called, it's the reading that we use from Deuteronomy, it's called the Shema. It's what every devout Jewish family has prayed for centuries and centuries, even to this day. And the, and the Jews, sometimes they would even, they would put things, uh, they'd put a little, I forget what it's called there, they'd put a little holder of the commandments there on, on the wall. They would pray the Shema morning and evening. There'd be a trumpet that went off, in, at least at the temple, I don't know about the synagogues, that would call people to pray this prayer. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. Therefore you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Teach, it says, drill this into your children. Speak of this at home and abroad. They would have prayed that twice a day. Our Lady would have taught that to our Lord. Every devout Jew knew that, the Shema. It was, in a way, it was an encapsulated, it was like our, our, our Father that we pray. It encapsulates everything right, that the, the, the devout Jew would pray. But there was this morning and this evening, what the church calls now for morning prayer and evening prayer, the two hinges, a door usually, sometimes a big door is three, the two hinges of the prayer life, the morning prayer and the evening prayer. This is how Mary and Jesus would have prayed. Our Lady, we don't know if she could read or write. Uh, if she could not read or write, it would be all the more impressive because she, like many Jews, would have devoted large amounts of time to memorizing Scripture. Now, today, we've kind of lost that ability, haven't we? Why? Well, let me just look it up on my Bible app here. I could just check it out or do a little search on my Bible. Now, where's that word there? You know, St. Anthony of Padua, uh, my patron, he's, called the, he's a doctor of the church. He's the doctor of the gospel. He knew the scriptures so well. For nine years, he was an Augustinian monk, and he studied the scriptures. And one of the popes said, well, if we lost the Bible for some reason, you know, in, in many different texts, we could have St. Anthony recite it by memory in Greek and Latin. 
Well, that's pretty impressive, right? I mean, I don't know what I had for breakfast this morning, right? <laughs> you know, this is amazing that the, the saints, you know, and, and our lady, they, what, they would have, what they would have recalled and what they would have remembered. And, you know, that takes work. And it, it takes a sitting down and, and being at peace to, to mull over these words. This is what the Desert Fathers, how they spent their life, even if they go to work, they're still mulling over the words of Scripture. And after you do that for 40 years, guess what? You could probably recite a lot of the Bible back, couldn't you? This is how Our Lady, probably if she could not read or write, we don't know, but she could recite the Psalms and teach Our Lord those Psalms. Our Lord would have heard those Psalms from the first place from, guess who? Our Blessed Mother. So in the place in the home, it was a place of prayer. The synagogue where they would go uh, was obviously the weekly place of prayer, and of course the temple, where they go at least once a year, they'd go on a little pilgrimage there. But the, the place is an important place. St. John of the Cross noted this, that the, the place of our prayer, um, when we find this, especially in our homes, uh, it's, an, it's an important place. The Catechism says in 2691, the church is a privileged place for adoration of the real presence of Christ. That's why Obviously, in church, we can't have this at home. Some people will say, Father, I, I, don't, I pray at home on Sundays. I don't need to go to church. Right, well, you know, the, the, uh, the second person of the Trinity in the Blessed Sacrament is not in your home, right? So true adoration. You may be able to pray, but you cannot do adoration in that sense, right? It, the Catechism continues, though. The choice of place is not a matter of indifference for true prayer, for personal prayer, there can be a little prayer corner in the house. This is the catechism. So it talks about, brothers and sisters, in your home, and I'm sure most of you have already done this. See, as religious, we have this. We have our chapel where the Blessed Sacrament is, but we often also have our cell. We may dedicate a little corner of the room to, to a place of worship of the Lord. And I'm sure many of you do that in your homes. In the early church, the Christians would put on the east wall a cross. Why the east wall? The east wall, because that's where Christ is coming back. That's where Christ would return from the east. And, you know, in the, in the old baptismal rite, now this is my favorite part of the baptismal rite, of the old, the old rite, is there's a place in there where the parents and the godparents, at the time of the baptism, when they're about to renounce Satan, there'd be a little window on the west wall of the baptistry. And you know what they would do through the window? They would spit. <laughs> this is actually in the baptismal, right? They would spit through that window, right? Because that's where Satan came from the west. Right now, obviously, don't think of that necessarily geographical America, okay? But uh, the East, because this is where the sun rises, okay? So it's, it's all symbolic. And this is why churches, for centuries, were oriented to the East. We would see the sun come up. It's why, it, you know, for the priest, he's facing odd, what we call ad orientum. He's facing the East, awaiting, when he's celebrating Mass, awaiting the second coming of Christ. So there was this kind of whole direction that the, that the uh, Jews prayed with as well. A third thing that's been very, that I've realized in my own life, brothers and sisters, it is a great help to your prayer life. It's a great help. 
I take it for granted, I'll be honest with you. You know, sometimes when you think, well, i got to get my prayer life, I went to this retreat, now I'm on fire, now what do I do? Well, I'm going to pray the row. I'm going to pray 12 rosaries a day like Padre Pio, all right, for 30 days. Well, you get through half the day, right? Oh, boy, I forgot even to do one rosary, right? Um, you know, we don't have, we have the luxury in the church of not having to dream up a program. You know, how am I going to pray? We have what's, we have a, an order within the church that she gives to us. As the Jews did, it's called a church calendar. And the Jews had that as well, didn't they? They had a time where they, they figured out, okay, Passover is on this day. The Feast of the Tabernacles is this week. Um, Yom Kippur, right? The Day of Atonement is on this day. They could figure these things out by, through their ch- calendar year. Our Lord and Our Lady they belonged, and they suddenly entered into, if you will, the early church calendar, the Jewish calendar of these feast days. They knew what they were celebrating. And, of course, the most, the most important day was what? The Sabbath. That, was the, that is ultimately, in a way, what caused the greatest contention or tension between Jesus and the Pharisees, because Jesus, our Lord, would be doing things on the Sabbath that they deemed unacceptable, Right? It was the Sabbath that was sacred to the Jews. Even in Brooklyn today, Brooklyn, all right? Anybody from Brooklyn? Um, forget about it, right? They say in Brooklyn, there's an actual sign there. As you're leaving Brooklyn near John F. Kennedy Airport, it says, you are now leaving Brooklyn, forget about it. And it's all one word. <laughs> it's just one word, forget about it, all right? So uh, in Brooklyn today, which is where many, many devout Jews still live, the Hasidim, one of the curls, the hat. The, let me tell you, they take the Sabbath very seriously. Father Benedict used to tell the story of growing up. Uh, I don't know if it was Mrs. Nussbaum or something like that of the family. And if it was Saturday and they needed the stove on, she'd call in old Father Benedict when he was a kid, Peter. Come in, can you turn the stove on? Why? That was considered work. You do not work on the Sabbath, Right? It's, it's, you go into the elevator, still on the Sabbath, and it can be an apartment building full of non-practicing Jews. On the Sabbath, it stops at every floor. Why? To press the button is work. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, I was like, well, that's, a, that's going a little bit overboard. But part of me is like, it's beautiful. Because they're doing that out of devotion. Well, some are, at least, are doing it out of devotion, love of God, and love of this day that is sacred, And Jesus and Mary would have held the Sabbath day very sacred. For us, what's that translate to? Sunday. There was a lot of preparation that went in to the Sabbath. As a matter of fact, probably Monday to Friday afternoon, they're thinking about getting everything done like we do, right? Monday morning, we're like, let's get going. So they're probably actually, we're Sunday because they were Jews, getting everything done so that when Friday afternoon hits, sundown, boom, that is sacred time for God, for family, you know, for the scriptures, for love of the Lord. So this, um, the Sabbath would have been very, very important. So how would that translate a question to you and to I? How do I treat Sundays? Do I just slide in like it's, well, it's like uh, Saturday plus, all right? Saturday maybe uh, plus plus, 
uh, how do I treat the Sunday? Do I know the readings for Sunday on Tuesday? Am I praying through, perhaps, am I preparing for that, for that Sunday Mass? What am I, how am I treating my Sundays? I'll tell you this, my brothers and sisters. If you put the preparation into celebrating Sundays, it will pay incredible dividends for your, for your spiritual life. Incredible dividends. Now, does that mean, well, does that mean I can't press the elevator button? That's not what I'm talking about, right? John Paul II had a beautiful, uh, um, uh, let's see, like, I forget if it was an apostolic exhortation. It might have been an encyclical, Dies Domini, where he talked about Sunday is is a day for the Lord. So that includes family, includes prayer, includes church, includes charity, includes service, huh? So how am I treating my Sundays? Right, so do I do I keep track of what's going on in my calendar? So oftentimes we'll we'll hear, well, I forgot it was the holy day of obligation. Well, I forget a lot of things too, you know. Be honest with you, but it begs a deeper question: Am I paying attention to where the church is going each and every day? The season of Advent, the season of Lent, saints' feast days, my own patron saint. You know, keeping track of these things. It gives an order to our life, my brothers and sisters. You and I, you know, uh, we experience disorder, right? And the Jews would hold that that was due to sin, chaos, entropy, and chemistry. If any of you are a chemist, right? It's the law, it's this force in the world that causes disorder. And so the Jews believed that the grace of God is continual salvation, part, even part of creation, was the ordering of of this chaos. In the beginning, in the book of Genesis, it talks about there was chaos. God orders this. In seven days, of course, you know, it could have been seven billion years, who knows, but there's an order that God brings to our life, right? Now, not that, now I'm half German at least, all right? Okay, so I'm all about order, okay? But it's, it's not that we all become Germans or anything, but that we can structure our life and just kind of fit right into the calendar year, the Sundays, certainly, the seasons, the feast days that we have. It's a great help. Father, what should I pray with? What should I pray about on Tuesday of the second, Sunday, of the second week in ordinary time? Well, guess what? The church gives us readings for each and every day. A New Testament, an Old Testament reading, a psalm, and a gospel. And it's what the entire church prays. Each and every day. You go to Mass in Japan. Uh, I don't speak Japanese, but I did go to Mass in Japan. I didn't know what they were saying, but I knew what they were saying because I had my, my own Magnificat there, and I could follow along. I think, my brothers and sisters, I really do, that God gives incredible graces through this liturgical calendar. This is the text that the church prays with. You could say the same about the divine office, right? This is how Jesus and Mary lived. Their whole lives were structured, and they weren't German, all right? That's how they structured their lives, their own prayer lives. In a way, it makes it easy for us. Well, we still have to do the work. Well, I didn't like the gospel. Let me go to the first reading. That's what us priests will do. Oh, I don't have nothing to preach about in that gospel. Let me go to the first reading. Oh, there's nothing there either. Let me go to the psalm. 
uh, is there a saint for the day? Right. <laughs> and then, if, then, I'll, then I'll check the, the news, what's going on in the news. Okay, no. But um, that's what we'll generally do. But we're looking. We're looking. How is God speaking to us? It's a privileged way. Does that make sense with that liturgical calendar? It's right there. And if you, if you have a Magnificat or something, you just follow right along. It makes it easier in one way. It gives structure to our life. Okay. Now, here let's get, into, uh, let's get into what's going on. So Mary pondered these things. She kept these things. She treasured these things in her heart. I had mentioned to you there are four Greek words. I'm going to spare you the details of what they are. Okay, if you want them afterwards, I'll give them to you. But let me, I think I've summed them up for you. Okay, um, in, in, a couple, in a couple ways here. One of which is the way that Mary, um, to, to ponder, it's, it's something like you're going over and over in your line. What, what does this really mean? And, and we would call that, I think, uh, meditation, right? You're, you're pondering, you're, you're, you're going on in your mind. It's a, it's a kind of an intellectual process, whereas contemplation, we might see more of it's like a heart kind of a process. You know, at the, we, we don't really know, but there's good reason to believe around 37 to 39 AD when persecutions broke out in Jerusalem. Uh, and you know who was leading that was a guy named Saul, right? He ends up becoming St. Paul. But at any rate, the early Christians were being persecuted, thrown into jail, and killed. So many of the, of the Jewish, if you will, Christians... They skipped out of town. They skedaddled, all right? And it's thought that St. John took Our Lady. Of course, we know that they, he, 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 our Lord entrusted Our Lady to St. John, and they went to Ephesus. And there is the house of Ephesus where Pope Benedict visited. I think John Paul II visited there as well. And, and there's good reason to believe, historical belief, that Our Lady lived the rest of her years there in Ephesus, in a little house. Isn't that interesting? Now, there's some conjecture that, because there's a tradition that she came back to Jerusalem when the Assumption happened, the Dormition and the Assumption, but there's good reason to believe that she spent years, the last years of her life, in Ephesus, on a hill, in a little house where St. John was for part of the time. What did she do? She prayed. She remembered. As a matter of fact, uh, in the, um, uh, the one uh, where Mel Gibson took uh, part of the uh, script for his movie, The Passion, uh, a visionary, a German uh, mystic visionary, she had also foreseen where this house was in Ephesus, and she saw Our Lady kind of had a rudimentary stations of the cross in her backyard where she would go and remember the passion of her son. I think this, was, this is a beautiful image for us. How Our Lady, you know, she, she was so ordinary in one sense, right? That just living a quiet, humble, simple, prayerful life, my brothers and sisters. How most of us, that's what we're called to do, you know? It's what, how we're called to live. And how she pondered, she remembered, she went over what did these words mean, uh, that, for me, is, is the, the greatest. And so here's Pope John Paul II describing this pondering, this meditation of Mary. He says, The memories of Jesus fixed on Mary's heart 
were always with her, leading her to reflect on the various moments of her life at her son's side. In a way, those memories were to be the rosary, does that sound familiar? Which she recited interruptedly throughout her earthly life. Now, I love this part where he says, John Paul II continues, and by the contemplation of these mysteries, Christ's saving power was released. Brothers and sisters, it's, it's uh, one thing we think, well, that's nice to meditate on Jesus' life, right? Or meditate on what God's doing in my life. There is saving power, John Paul II, saving. It saves us from what? From sin, from danger, from temptation, from the evil spirits. By med- That's why if you... If you read any kind of spiritual theology or talk to exorcists, what's the greatest thing that you can do in a way to be free of you know, these problems? Let me just say spiritual problems. Meditation. Exorcists, well, one of the first steps that they give to people who are come, who wish to be delivered um, from, from whatever's going on in their life, evil spirits, they will have them do 30 minutes of meditation every single day. Step one. Isn't that amazing? Step one, meditation. So the question for us, what's my meditation look like? Well, now if you're a mother of seven kids, it may not look like our ladies, right? So you have to you know, fit this within to your own vocation. But it, there should be a meditation on our Lord's life, on my life. What's going on in this? Another word here that St. That Luke uses uh, when Mary's pondering, or thinking about these things, is uh, dialogo mosai, which we get the word dialogue. It means to talk this through, right? It means to talk. Then there's a few times in the Gospels, but it could be to talk through with yourself. I think it's really to talk with God. It could be to talk with my spiritual director or confessor or my friend or my Bible group. You know, I've been praying about this thing. I'm wondering what this means. I'll often ask the brothers that I live with, hey, do you have any insight into this thing, you know, that I've been praying with or something? I think this word is, is really wonderful, the, the dialogue. I could see Our Lady talking with perhaps the father or even her son, working through the meaning of these words. What does this mean in my life. Now, one of the, I like to, I will give you an image for this that I, that I really love. A servant of God from Vietnam named uh, Brother Marcel Van. He was a seminarian uh, and a brother for um, the Dominicans in, uh, in Vietnam in the 1900s and uh, probably 1940s or so. And he has a, there's a few books written by him. Now, this was a, it's a very fascinating, he had a very tough life, obviously growing up in Vietnam. He had to deal with, uh, he had a lot of home family problems. Uh, when he entered the seminary, there was a lot of abusive things going on. And so he had a lot of problems in the seminary. He had to deal with, the, with French colonialism in Vietnam. So many of the Vietnamese hated the French. And the communists came in. And then he was actually jailed by the communists. This poor guy had a tough life, let me die. I, I have a cupcake life compared to him. But very early on, he read the story of a soul by St. Therese of Lisieux. Great work, right? 
And he loved this, and he was so captivated, he just kind of fell in love with St. Therese. Hard not to, right? And he began to talk to St. Therese. Therese, St. Therese, would you help me? I'm really struggling in seminary. These, these professors are terrible. You know, the French are this, that. Now, she was French, by the way, right? So he's going to get himself into hot water. So, at any rate, each day he would have these converse, conversations with St. Therese. And one day, she showed up. And he's still having the, oh, there you are. Well, let me tell you, I'm really having some more problems, and the French did this, and the French, and I want to kill him. And then St. Therese would be like, now listen, I'm French. And she said this to Brother, uh, Brother Marcel, and she says, you've got to forgive, you know, our Lord's asked to forgive. And they would have these dialogues, he and St. Therese. And then uh, Jesus appeared to him. Now, Jesus appeared to him as a little boy. And, you know, oftentimes I think the reason our Lord did this for him was that he, would, he was a record of complaining about this and that, and this is wrong and that's wrong. And you know what? Jesus appears as a little boy, I don't know, six, seven years old, and he'd be like, brother, can you tell me a joke? Isn't that, oftentimes we can approach Jesus, our Lord, as we should, <laughs> with fear and trembling, reverence, but in a way, we, we can kind of rule out a part of our Lord that's very jovial. And I look in the mirror, all right? I don't know about you, but I look in the mirror and I see Jesus is very jovial to call me to this, th- to this life, you know? And so as a way to help Brother Marcel with his problems and his broken record, he'd have him tell him jokes. Jesus would laugh. Some of the brothers would be hearing two people laughing in the room, like, what's going on in there? It's a great image now for, for most of us. That's not going to happen, right, to these, these, these extraordinary phenomena. But they speak to us of this, of this notion of dialogue, of talking things through with God. Okay. And um, finally, I'll say that um, there's a word that, that uh, Luke uses about guarding. She treasured, it's really guarded. It's like you have a safe. And I put these words which God has given to me, and I put them in the safe. It's kind of like a tabernacle. We lock, we lock the door, and we hide the key. All right? So Jesus is safe in there, right? And if the Jews had, in their synagogues, they had the same thing that a tabernacle. They put the Torah, the scriptures in there, lock it up, and hide the key, Right? Well, it's the same for us what this, if you think about that, there's a tabernacle within our heart that we take the words that God has given to us, right, that are meaningful to us, especially the scriptures. We lock it up and hide the key. From who? And this is the parable that Jesus gives about the sower. Some seeds landed over here, right? Some seeds are the thorns. Some seeds, someone came and stole And this is the thief. And this is what Satan does. He steals the good words, the good news, the gospel message from us when we're not looking. And he will will put other seeds there, seeds of lies or half-truths at best. Right? This is part of what Satan does. He steals the good words. He perverts it. He corrupts it. He turns it into lies. And so for Our Lady, what she did, what St. Luke describes it, she locked it up. 
And she was not going to allow the gift that God had given her to be tarnished, to be, to be corrupted in any way. She meditated on those words. And so the guarding of the words that God gives to us, not that they just come and then they go and then we forget about them. And finally, my brothers and sisters, there's a beautiful, which I, I kind of translated there a little bit different in this, is that we know that the shepherds, but we know that Joseph and Mary marveled at Christ. Marveled. Uh, to marvel, uh, I don't know, it's, it's not Marvel Comics, right? But it's Marvel is like, it's like to look at the sunset or the Grand Canyon or whatever, or a beautiful child. Or if, if you're a new, the newborn baby, the first child of a mother, you marvel. Wow! Look at this, right? There was this aspect of their prayer life. And that should be for us as well. I think that's, that's really, wow, what God is doing in my life. You know, uh, my community, we work with the poor in um, many different uh, capacities, homeless, uh, addicts, and things. And, you know, on the rare occasion that you come across someone who's been really delivered and liberated from an addiction or whatever, they marvel at God's grace. They really do. They acknowledge it and they marvel at it. It's, it's something that, that's an awe that they, they see like they were falling off a cliff and a hand just got them right there. There should be this, this part of our prayer life as well that we, that we, we see the incredible goodness and, and generosity despite our worst efforts and our sins. Huh? Um, God does not give up on us. And therefore, the, even the mercy of God. So, so uh, we see the, the the divine mercy image there. That um, this mercy of God, it just is never ending, and it's awe inspiring, and it's something to be marvelled at, as you would a sunset. Uh, or um, and and you know, in our world today, this marveling and this awe of God's work, of God's creation, has been replaced. I know one comedian said that. You know, like God made a man and a woman, and then man makes a skyscraper. And, you know, so the man's like, oh, that's nice. Yeah, God made a man and a woman with a skyscraper. Wow, look at that thing, right? Or, you know, uh, God makes the Grand Canyon. Oh, it's beautiful. But then he also made, man makes Times Square. Wow, look at Times Square, right, in New York City. It's just something that that we can, we can kind of trade um, the marvels of God for the marvels of man. And, and then I think that, that really happens in, in, in the entertainment industry quite a bit. But to keep an eye on that, to always see the beauty, the marvelous workings of God's, uh, God's hands. I think Our Lady was so attuned to that. She was so attuned to that, she never let it escape her. She never, it was throughout her whole life, uh, even in the darkest times, God gives consolation. He gives words that really hit us so that when the times of darkness and desolation come, we have that stored up. But if you don't store it up, then in those times of desolation and darkness, it's like, where's the meaning in all this? And that's why I think Jesus says on a number of occasions to his apostles, listen, 
The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. He'll be turned over to the priests. He's going to be crucified, and he's going to rise on the third day. And all of them, all of them, all 12, forgot the last part, didn't they? It's like, it was like brain damage, like something blocked, like the, and he's going to rise on the third day. Well, I don't know what that is, but no, that can't happen, right? I think I am convinced Our Lady heard that either firsthand or secondhand, you know, she heard the full message, and that's what kept her going. God, my son promised this. And she stored that up, and she probably meditated on, he's going to rise on the third day. He's going to rise. He's going to come back from the dead. She probably was like, that's pretty crazy to think about, you know? Um, but she had stored that up. So my brothers and sisters, my encouragement to you is to take, take these... Um, these teachings of St. Luke, how he describes Our Lady, and, uh, and really to have them as part of your own prayer life, the place, the time, the calendar, the time for silence, silent meditation, uh, adoration, to guard the words that God gives to us, um, to take the scriptures, certainly to heart that our Lord would have taken to heart when he was a young boy. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Our Lady of Nazareth, pray for us. St. Joseph, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.